0: the privilege and the joy of opening up this book, the Bible, which we believe is God's Word to us. Literally every word in the Bible breathed out by God Himself through the human authors by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. This is is a privilege every time we get to do this on a Sunday morning. Open up your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians. It's about... Three quarters or a little bit more toward the end of your Bible. We'll be opening up to Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. If you don't have a Bible, know that this is a safe place to learn how to read the Bible. We have extras under the chairs of the center aisle. Uh, Or you could just open up your phone's browser and search Ephesians 2. Scroll down to to verse 11. We'll be reading from the ESV version this morning. Uh, si Hacia capítulo 2 versículos 11, 11 a 22. Now when we started the series 4 or 5 weeks ago, we started with a quote from a theologian named Arthur Wallace who lived back in the 60s and he said, if you would do the best with your life, find out what God is doing in your generation. And throw yourself wholly into it. And what the book of Ephesians is about is this broad statement that the church is what God is doing in the world today. God has created something magnificent in the church. And last week we learned the magnificence of what God's grand plans of redemption have done in the lives, in the individual, personal lives of those who have by grace through faith been saved by Jesus Christ. They have been made alive in him, and it is all grace all the way. But here today, here
1: at the end, the second half of chapter 2, we discover that the effect of the gospel, the effect of grace, is not only individual, but it's corporate and social. You have been saved into something. We discover that you cannot be made alive in Christ
0: without being reconciled to a community of others who have also been made alive in Christ. And when we say that God is doing what God is doing in the world today is the church,
1: this passage pulls back the covers on exactly what that means. This passage is the heart of Ephesians. La-
0: last week, I said my favorite passage in the, gospel, or in the, in the Bible just because it is such a beautiful distillation of what the gospel is and its effects in the life of a believer. This is the same passage, except what the gospel is and its
1: effects on a whole society. So, with that, let's read together Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, mind you, therefore,
0: coming out of 2, 1 through 10, therefore, because of that, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants
1: of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were
0: far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing by abolishing the law of commandments and expressed in ordinances that he might
1: create in himself one new man So then, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members
0: of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what? (laughs) What a passage we just
1: read. I pray that you would help this, this weak preacher in the space of less than an hour to do some justice to the magnificence of what
0: you, by your Spirit, moved upon Paul to write. I pray that we would, that you would, by your grace, change the way we look at the world because of what we understand in this passage. I pray, Lord, that we would encounter Christ once again and hold fast to him as
1: he holds fast to us so that we might be united in an ongoing way, in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Well, this last week, I was at
0: a conference for work in Philadelphia. Uh, it, it was a secular conference about leadership in the nonprofit sector. And as has been the case for years with this association, which I've been a member, I've actually led our local chapter of this association, uh, professionally, in my, in, my, in my work life, as has been the case for years in this association, even though the, the conference was about fundraising, presenter after presenter passionately advocated for what has become known as IDEA. And you're probably familiar with, with that acronym, IDEA, which stands for Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Access. And here's what I came away from the conference with. Some 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 good fundraising tips and tricks, some good networking, but here's what I came away with. A powerful sense. I keep coming away with this this sense, this, this powerful sense that
1: people want to belong. People want to be reconciled to one another. People do not want to be oppressed or excluded. People want community Desperately. One of the presenters was the co-founder of one of the, the
0: Internet's most successful uh, corporations. She, she sold her company for $12 billion, and she was presenting, and she wrote a poem about a world that she envisions, and, and she shared that poem. And here are just a, a few lines from that poem. It started with the words, recreate a world. One that deserves to be lived in. A world traveled by all that fights,
1: loves, shelters, and gives. But Here's the thing. The tone of how to achieve that world was consistently one of of guilt. Not doing enough. The tone was one of power imbalances. And power struggles. One was one of commands to just do better. That persists year after year. A certain percentage of of those in any
0: room where these conversations are are happening, they, they might be nodding along, but internally they're cowering. They're feeling inferior, they're feeling like the the perpetrators based on physical characteristics of of who they are, while another percentage of the room based on the physical characteristics of who they are feel empowered based on their physical characteristics to to take power, to take position and control, not necessarily alongside these other people groups, but over
1: against, finally these other people. It's tense. It always feels tense in those rooms. It feels hopeful, but it doesn't feel peaceful. There's a
0: lingering sense of superiority and inferiority that just constantly weighs or hangs in the balance. It's the pursuit of inclusion, the pursuit
1: of belonging at the expense of peace. And the best minds, the disassociation could
0: afford monetarily are on stages and every one of
1: them has different rules for how inclusion and equity and belonging must be achieved got to be a better got to be a better almost 2000 years ago in a letter to a bunch of
0: house churches in Ephesus a converted Jew named Paul revealed a better way. The the world that the co-founder of Zappos longs for in principle, it
1: exists.
0: But here's the major caveat, and here's the point. This is, if you're taking notes, write this down. If there is to be unity in
1: any direction, it must necessarily be in Christ. That's the lynch. If there's going to be unity in any direction from, from me to this group of people or from me to
0: this person horizontally or even from me in that
1: direction God it must necessarily not optionally necessarily be in Christ and apart from him what the world has found for centuries is true unity and paul addresses two main
0: directions in this text this morning really really he addresses horizontal unity with with other people and he addresses vertical unity with god so that's our two points this morning horizontal unity and vertical unity but before we do get into those two points let me just ask two questions two questions that'll just sort of be a through line for the rest of this sermon
1: for you to just think about okay first one how should we respond to worldly attempts at unity? And I
0: ask this because this is, as a pastor, this is one of my senses that as as we we hear social conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, access, belonging, I think as Christians we go, I think those are good things. But then we see the solution for how they're to to be approached with and you go, ah, there's something off. So how do I approach that? How do I approach those worldly attempts at unity? Second question,
1: how valuable is the unity that we have in the church? Just ask yourself. Consider that as we're going
0: through this. And mind you, we have two points, and then we're going to finish with with an extended uh, application section. There's so much for us to apply, both in the church and in our community here. So, with that in mind, first point, horizontal unity. Verses 11 through 15. You have to understand the context of where we are. Go back probably just on the page prior to chapter 1 verses 9 through 10. And this is sort of the the, the grand revelation of what is going on here in in Ephesians. Verse 9 says that that God made known to us the mystery of His will, His grand purposes of redemption according to to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, here it is, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Ephesians, it's about the revelation of the mystery of God's will. The
1: mystery re- revealed is God's plan to unite all things. And then, here we are in 2.11-22.
0: This is, this is what happens when God hits go on that plan. Paul's showing us. But, also, remember where we just were in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10. through The point of that was that you were made alive, you were saved, and it was all by grace. It was all grace, all the way. And so Paul starts by saying, therefore, (laughs) therefore, since this has happened in you as individuals, therefore, And you almost expect him to say, therefore, pursue unity. But just like he did in in verse 1, he says, you got to remember where you came from. Both individually in verse 1 and in verse 11, corporately. And his audience here, he's writing to Gentiles. Gentiles, an easy definition of Gentiles is non-Jews. Gentiles are not Jews. In that world, in the Jewish mind, There were two kinds of people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. Gentiles were all of those people who the Jews looked at and said, you are not the people of God. We are. And so Paul says, look at verse 11. He says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Five things. Separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in in the commonwealth of Israel,
1: foreigners, strangers to the promises of God, the covenants of promise, and then these two brutal summary statements. Without and without God. The Gentiles, these Gentile nations, they had plenty of gods, but none of them offered them
0: hope. Commentator F.F. F. Bruce said, Gentiles did not share the hope of Israel, the promises of Israel, did not know the God of Israel, nor did it seem possible that the Messiah of Israel should have any significance for them. So on one hand, Gentiles really were on the outside of God's promises and on the outside of his covenant community. But there was also this nasty social aspect to it. Look at verse 11. He says, remember that one time, you who are called, and he puts quotes around it, the uncircumcision,
1: by those who are are called the circumcision. And he says, that which is made in the flesh by hand. Though, though circumcision
0: was the Old Covenant sign of inclusion in the community, Jews used this physical characteristic as an occasion for pride and superiority against others. That's why Paul says it that way. He says,
1: the circumcision, as though that, that gives you an occasion for superiority over against another person. Again, F.F. F. Bruce very wisely notes that that only
0: males bore the covenant sign was taken by many Jews to imply that males not only had a greater prerogative over Gentiles, but even over women. The man who thanked God daily that he had not been made a Gentile likely also thanked him at the same time that he had not been made a woman. Such was the social air that was breathed in that day. So there's this dimension of a people being outside of and having no access to a community, and and those who are part of a community who carry a disdain for those who are
1: outside or being outside. Because they are different from them. Because they are on the outside of the community. I have a disdain for you just because you're not in my community. Let's be a reminder to you, the modern social conversation is not a new one. (laughs)
0: This has been going on for centuries and millennia. This is a problem as old as time itself. Racial arrogance, sexism, been around since humans have been around. And sin, Ephesians two one through three. Go back and read those verses.
1: Those verses. That's the root. That's why it's there. Like in Ephesians 2.4.
0: Here comes the turn in 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off from the covenants have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who is... Don't miss this. Man, oh man. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Once again, God has done it. Once again, we don't find in this this passage, but you
1: have finally overcome your hostility. No. No. Not at all. But now in Christ Jesus,
0: what has he done? He's brought those who were far off from the promises, near to the promises. He has made, and this is the mystery revealed
1: right here, he's made the two people into one people. Listen, Paul is proposing that a new way to real unity now
0: exists. <laughs> but listen, I heard that from five different people this last week at, at the conference who got up on stage and said, this is the way that we are now going to move forward and be, and be unified together. So what makes what Paul is saying different than all these other claims for how we're finally going to, going to achieve a society that is at peace
1: with one another? Verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments, Expressed
0: in ordinances, that He might create
1: in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making. Listen, Paul's not saying that the law is bad.
0: I'm not going to go into that whole argument right now. If you want to, if you want to know Paul's opinion or Paul's teaching on that from the Lord. Go to to Romans chapter 3, verse 31. Paul says, so what then? Should we just get rid of the law? And he says, by no means. And then his argument follows from there. Go read it this week. What he's saying here is that the law, with all of its rules, many of them
1: man-made at this point in history, was being used as an occasion for moral superiority. Christ abolished Christ abolished using a set of rules and
0: and moral moral standards as an occasion for superiority of myself over against another person or this group of people over against another group of
1: people listen, the law itself will never produce unity Rules won't unite people. Taking this into today, commands to be united won't unite people. Commands to to
0: be more diverse won't make a more unified, diverse community. Commands to, to conform to a certain social standard will not produce unity. They have no actual power to unite. They actually just give those who are giving those commands an occasion
1: for moral superiority. Saying, you got to do this. And it gives those who think they're doing the best at it an occasion for moral superiority. Y'all haven't arrived. you got to get there. One day. Keep working. You'll get there. Like you're on the hamster. even if rules in themselves have the power to unite nobody can keep any set of rules perfectly so if that's the case
0: there will always be occasion for me or you to go you're not doing it right I don't think you're doing it the right way I don't think you've measured up I got a standard and you haven't met it Such was the case with the law. The Jews held this this moral superiority over Gentiles, but here's here's the brutal fact of the matter. None of them kept the law. Jews or Gentiles,
1: all are sinners before a holy God. Here's the very heart of the matter. How did he abolish this
0: sense of moral superiority? Look at verse 13. By his blood. Verse 14, in His flesh. Verse 15, in Himself. On one hand, Jesus Christ in His life, He was the object of hostility and moral superiority by the religious elite. But more
1: significantly than that, He took the wickedness of our own hostility toward one another. He took the wickedness
0: of our out and out moral superiority over one another and he bore
1: it in his body on the cross. And what we deserved for our hostility toward
0: one another, what we deserved for our, our trying to game one another and set ourselves up against and over the next
1: person and the next group of people, he bore penalty for that. Ephesians 2.4 because of His great mercy. Because He loved us. He bore our failure to get this right in Himself. And by grace, through
0: faith, (laughs) Ephesians 2.8 and 2.4, He raised our souls dead in sin and hostility. He raised us to new life. And look at this, look at this, verse 15. In raising us to new life in himself, he didn't just create new life in you as a person, he created one new man corporately in
1: place of the two groups of people. He didn't just create peace between Jews and
0: Gentiles. He, he didn't turn Gentiles into Jews. He didn't make the Jewish people more tolerant of Gentiles. No, in his resurrection life, he created the church.
1: That's the point. He created a new humanity. In the first century, historians they recount over and over
0: that Christians often referred to themselves as a new race. As, as as a third race. In this world where there are two kinds of people, they said, we're a third kind of people. Comprised of those old two peoples
1: who have been made one in Christ. So listen, it's not that our diversity has ceased to exist. That's not at all the case. It's not saying that we have, we've become uniform. It's saying that we've become unified.
0: It's it's unity, not uniformity. It's that our new shared identity transcends everything else about us. Who you are in Christ is now the most important thing about you. Your skin color, your ethnicity, your background, your preferences, your socioeconomic status, none of that. None of that. Your, Your age, your ability, none of it is the most important thing about you. Who you are in Christ has become the single most important thing about you, and that's true of all of you. That's what he's talking about here. So our diversity remains, but what we now share in common is greater than what makes us different. If you're taking notes, write that down. (laughs) Our diversity remains, but what we share in common is
1: greater than what makes us different. of that, we can have unity in the midst of diversity. And listen, diversity in the midst of Christ-centered unity is genuinely beautiful. It's genuinely beautiful. It's not about
0: what you must become. It's not about the rules that you have to follow. It's not about the standard that you have to attain.
1: It's about what we have become in Christ. If you're not floored by this, you're not reading what I'm reading. Every other attempt at unity focuses on your physical and social
0: characteristics and what you must do. In other words, your identity and your behavior. The Gospel
1: focuses on your new identity in Christ and on what He has done. It focuses on your new identity and Christ's behavior. This is the only behavior that has perfectly met God's standard.
0: Worldly attempts at unity cannot help but point the finger at you and me in blame and responsibility. You have to do better. I have to do better. I'm the
1: problem. You're the problem. This is what needs to be fixed, and it's you, and you got to do it. In the church, we all point our finger at Christ, who bore our blood, and who can carry the weight of responsibility to achieve unity. we all pointing our finger at Him and saying, He is a That's what Paul says.
0: Verse 15, he says, he himself is our peace. It's nothing within us that is our peace. It's him. And it's not just that we look at him, but we are found in him. You find that language over and over. We are in him, which means that we cannot be separated from him.
1: This is a a unity that will extend into eternity. He's our peace horizontally but also vertically
0: this is our second point and i got to move quickly here verses 16 through 22 read them read them with me and, and that he might reconcile us both to god in one body through the cross thereby killing hostility and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then and listen to this this is a barrage of illustrations So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom this whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place
1: for God by the Spirit. When we read... Chapter two, verses one through three, last week, and talking about
0: how you're dead in sin and following the, the lusts of, of your of your minds and the passions of your flesh, and that you were uh, that, that you were
1: children of wrath. The fact that he incl- would include Jews in that description was unthinkable to the Jewish mind. It would have been a massive surprised to
0: learn that Israel too suffered an alienation from God through sin. Because Jews thought that because, I have, because I'm of the circumcision and I have the law, I'm connected with God. And that's why Paul puts the, the, the circumcision in quotes because Paul knew that God's plan had always been to make a new covenant. That circumcision and belonging to, to the ethnic people of the Jews counted for nothing before God. Paul knew that according to to Deuteronomy 10 and Jeremiah 4, write those down, look them up this week, that circumcision of the heart,
1: which means cleansing of the heart, is what mattered to God. Circumcision itself was a sign, it was a symbol. Pointing to the substance. Most Jews were blinded
0: by pride, by by superiority to this reality, which is why most rejected the Savior when he came. But for those who who do receive him by grace through faith, he has reconciled both Jew and Gentile, not just to one another,
1: but to God. Vertical unity. And listen, you and I, just like ancient Jews, likely had no idea that we were unreconciled to God.
0: Walking in sin, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that has worked in in
1: the sons of disobedience of this age, had no idea that we needed to be reconciled to God. But God being rich in mercy, but now in Christ. Man, oh man, how did he do this? Verse 16, he might reconcile us both, Jews and Gentiles, to God in one body through the cross.
0: By the same instrument that God reconciled us to one another, he reconciled us to himself. Human hostility to God has to be overcome. And in the cross, in the cross, God abolished that hostility as well. Romans 5.10 says that while we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God
1: by the death of the Son. He He took that enmity between us and God on himself. He bore God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. So that we would be eternally reconciled to God. Another
0: pastor out on the East Coast named Mickey Connolly says that the key to reconciliation between people is reconciliation to God. So listen, let's just get
1: real for a moment. Has there been social injustice in this world? Yeah. Has oppression existed, and does it still exist today? Yes. And it's an abomination. It has no place in the holiness of God. Have people groups used their power to denigrate other people groups? Yeah. Part of the reason why Christ came, why he gave his life on a cross, because of that kind of sin. But let me ask this. Is there a people group anywhere who has not offended God? Is there a people group anywhere
0: who has not followed the course of this world, followed the prince of the power of the air, and lived in the passions of their flesh? Ephesians 2, 1 and
1: 2. Is there any people group who is not comprised of children of wrath? Ephesians 2, 3. No. No, there's not a single group of people On this planet, who are already reconciled to God.
0: And a world that is settled in its hatred of God will never find peace with one another until
1: they have peace with God. That's why the second half is so important in our pursuits
0: of unity with other people. So long as we're unreconciled to God, so long as vertical unity hasn't been achieved, horizontal unity unity is a fool's errand. But the church is the one place, oh man, it is the one place on earth where all people are reconciled to God and all people have a real opportunity
1: to be reconciled to one another. It is the one place. That's true. And note that I say, the second part, we have
0: an opportunity to be reconciled to one another. Just wait until application. I'll, I'll explain that. But this is the one place where the people who comprise this this body are reconciled to God
1: and reconciled to one another.
0: That's what God is doing in the church. That's why the church is so amazing. It's because what what God has accomplished in the church. And it's something so marvelous that, that Paul struggles to find an adequate illustration to describe it. So he rattles off a bunch of illustrations and mixes them together. Verse 19, he calls us a kingdom where we're all citizens. Verse 19, again, he, he says we're a new kind of family, members, brothers, and sisters of the household of God. But then verse 20, he says, well, we're a building. We're built on the, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and, and, and Christ Jesus himself
1: is the cornerstone. Verses 21 through 22, he's, we're, we're a, a, a new temple, a dwelling place for God. like the like the tabernacle in the desert after God saved his people from the hands of the Egyptians
0: so you are a new house family building community temple kingdom so magnificent is what God has created in the church through the reconciling power of the gospel that no other institution on earth can com- can adequately illustrate
1: what this is. No other institution can compare what God has achieved in. Them. If we are to find unity, it must necessarily be found in Christ. Now
0: two main points of application and Fair warning, the second point of application has 6 subpoints. So get ready. Take your notes. Pull your pens out. But, uh, friends, I'm, I'm looking forward to this because I, I can't wait to see what God continues to do through this church. The, the, the unity that Paul talks about, first let me encourage you, is, is so evident in this church. It's one of the things that, that makes me so excited to come and gather with you on a Sunday morning. When I missed a small group on Friday night because I was out of
1: town. I, I, I treasure being together with you because I know the depth of the fellowship, the unity that I have with you. I know you treasure it. But as Paul tells another church, hey, you're excelling.
0: Excel still more. Let's keep going because of grace. Not saved by works, but save two good works. Let's continue pursuing this in Christ. So two, two main application points. First one, pursue unity in Christ. And if you can write in italics, write in Christ in italics. And
1: then I want you to prove to me that you can write in italics. Let me ask you this question. Do you see disunity and division in the church? Either in this local church or in, in the global church? answer is probably yes. And you've probably looked at that and go and, and thought, why? How? How is there disunity in the church? And, and and it might have disillusioned you at at times.
0: There's a reason why I said earlier that the church is one place where, where all people are reconciled to God and have an opportunity to be reconciled to one another. The reason I said it that way is because the opportunity for unity comes only in Christ. Where you find division, you will find a people straying from unity in Christ. I want, to, I want you to do an exercise. Read, read through verses 11-22. through 22. Again, right now. Look down at your Bibles. I want you to notice something. Notice this. Verse 13. Now in Christ you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He, Christ, is Himself our peace. He, Christ, broke down the wall of hostility. He, Christ, did that in His flesh. One new man was created in Himself. We're reconciled through the cross of Christ. Through Him, Christ, we have access to the Spirit. Christ Jesus Himself is the cornerstone. In Him, the structure is growing up together. In Him, you're being built into a dwelling place for
1: God. You see it. Paul's not pulling any punches. (laughs) He's not saying, I'm just going to assume you get this.
0: He is reinforcing it over and over and over. He's saying, if this isn't in Christ, none of this happens. When a building's cornerstone gets even slightly moved out of place, what happens to the building? It starts to crack. starts to crumble. When we lose the ground of our unity, we invariably begin to lose our unity. So when you see disunity in the church, in division in the church, it's because we've moved away, even ever so slightly, away from Christ. So if we're a church who, who become about morality prim- primarily and following commands and just being about how, how holy and righteous we can be, as though it's a standard to achieve for ourselves.
1: We become more about that than the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do you think might happen? When we become more about
0: being relevant to our Santa Ana culture and softening the gospel because it might offend,
1: our unity will start to crack. If we become about unity as an end in itself,
0: if we start saying, no, no, we've got we to gotta start preaching sermons about unity, like every other, every other week, that's got to be our rally cry. If unity itself becomes our rally
1: cry, and not Jesus Christ, we'll become frustrated. Hostility will return. We'll be feeling like we're running on a hamster wheel, trying to, to achieve a target and just never grasp. If we allow our differences to supersede the work of Christ in us, if we highlight what makes us different over and above our identity in Christ, we will begin to see divisions form. I cannot stress this enough. Neither can Paul. I can't actually say it more than Paul has. If there is to be unity in any direction, it must necessarily be in Christ. Unity by grace. That's the different thing. That, that
0: tension that, that you feel in those social conversations that are absent of Christ, you know what they're absent
1: of? In principle, absent of grace. Grace. See unity in Christ. Second one.
0: Second one. Fight for the unity of the local church. Fight for the unity of the local church. And like I said, I have 6 subpoints here, and I'm going to go quickly through them. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to just pick one of them. Pick one of them to, to pray to the Lord this next week and ask Him to, to help you to, to apply this, to grow in this, talk about this with your spouse, go out a picnic in the park, actually talk about, about this. Engage in conversation. Okay? Now, in Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, or in Ephesians 4.3, he says, eagerly, and, th- and that's the force of the word there, he says eagerly pursue unity in the bond of peace. And so there's going to be another sermon about this, but this is so important a topic that we're going to delve deep today, and we are diving deep. And again, I want to go quickly here, but <laughs> this is so important. If you want unity, you must find it in Christ. If you want to be a follower of Christ, you must pursue unity. Unity is not optional. It's not optional. You can't be a Christian and say, well, yeah, I don't want to do the whole unity thing.
1: not optional. And there are plenty today who would say, I don't want to do that unity. So, six, six ways for
0: you to fight for the unity of the local church. And write them all down, but,
1: but really ask the Lord to, to give you grace for one of these. First one, forgive. Forgive. The greatest threat to our unity is unforgiveness. Flat out. The greatest threat to our unity is unforgiveness. We will have conflict
0: with each other. We will offend each other. If we're actually going to live life closely with one another, we're, we're going to. I'm probably going to offend you. I might have already offended you.
1: And if I have, I'm sorry. Forgive me. But we're going to. And the conflict Itself is not a threat to our unity.
0: Your unwillingness and my unwillingness to give grace and forgive is the threat. The conflicts are opportunities for grace to shine. An absence of grace among those who have been chosen, made alive, and saved by grace, an absence of grace toward one another, that's a shame. That's a shame. Scholar A.T. Lincoln says
1: the church is the arena. Where the result of Christ's peacemaking are to be seen. The peace gained at the cost of Christ's death and realized in the church is to be
0: preserved and demonstrated and to be proclaimed by the church in the world through its own relationship. It's a high calling.
1: It's a high calling. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.1 live live in a manner worthy of the high calling. but a wonderful one. So, one, forgive. Two, I don't know if this is a controversial statement, but that that concept of idea that I talked about early on, I want you to love idea. Love inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. Because listen, we have been included in the promises of God in
0: Christ. There is a tremendous and wonderful dis- diversity within our church that says, that says all who come to drink of living water are welcome. As diverse as the
1: world in our neighborhood could possibly be, let him come. Equity. God equitably,
0: man oh man, has given his grace to all who come to him by faith.
1: Nobody received less than another person. Access. Oh, oh man, oh, man. By courageously preaching the gospel, you are giving access to this magnificent community to anyone who would Listen, don't let the world co-op these beautiful and wonderful words, these are all God's idea.
0: Diversity is God's idea. He made us as a diverse people. This was his idea. He, he, he made a plan for redemption that was equitable to all who would come to him by faith. Let Jesus Christ reign over these. Don't turn your nose
1: up at them and go, "Ooh, yeah, I don't, I'm not about diversity and equity and access should be in christ apart
0: from christ it's a hamster wheel but in christ man oh man highlights the beauty of the gospel and what is achieved in the church so one forgive two love the the concepts embedded with an idea
1: third extend grace to those on the outside Close to the heart of the Jews' problem was that they judged those who were not in for not being in. So
0: if we as the church judge unbelievers and look at them with moral
1: superiority just because they're not believers, we're in the same thing that Paul said, yeah, that's who you used to be. How do you respond to those seeking unity and inclusion apart from Christ? Do you use words like woke or BLM in derogatory ways as, as a way to go, those, those fools. Those no nuts Friends, our unbelieving neighbors desperately want unity. Remember that.
0: They want belonging. Everybody wants church. Everybody wants church.
1: But they don't want Christ. That's the key. Everybody wants church. Not everybody wants Christ. Listen. You. Before he broke your lips, that should compel us to move toward compassion and grace and say, I want to give them access to this.
0: Boldly proclaim the gospel tell them about Jesus even if they don't want him tell them again tell them again
1: <laughs> and ask God to move on their hearts so that they'll be a part of this kingdom house temple family body building fourth fourth within the church look for stones that are out of place look for look for stones in this in this building
0: that are that are out of place that are being that are being pushed out. Look for the people who are isolated, who are lonely, who may not feel like they have, they have a place or that they're
1: included in any, in any group. Look for those people. They're typically not people who are going to say, yeah, yeah, I don't feel included. And if you ever do hear somebody say that,
0: take it to heart, listen to it. See how you can, you can bring your life and your family and your... And, and your fellowship around them. Embrace one another so that there is nobody who feels like they don't belong or are, or are as included as another in this wonderful body called the church.
1: Fifth. Fifth. Two more. Quickly here. Don't rebuild the wall of hostility. Let that wall stay. Let that be a pile of rubble
0: do not start rebuilding it. What do I mean by that? Ask this question. Are you giving general preference to one group of people who are like you in a certain way to the exclusion of another group? Do you give general preference to one group of people based on characteristics to the exclusion of another group? So again, our diversity remains and we celebrate it and it's wonderful and it's beautiful. But but if we use our diversity as an occasion for disunity and division, there's something that needs to be corrected. Again, in Christ, by the gospel, not by, not by harsh words and, and do-betters, but by grace. But in the church, there is no, for those of you who have been around since the beginning, there is no core team versus new members. It's an important one. New people coming to the church can feel like, oh man, these people have been around you for a long time. I can't break into that group.
1: There is no young people and old people. There is no singles and marrieds. It's actually a very common
0: source of division in the church. There are no Latinos and Asians and black people and white people being used as an occasion for exclusive group.
1: There are no fantasy football people and non-fantasy football people. You know who you are. Here's the test. There should be no social groups in the church that are inaccessible. Take account of, of your own patterns. Maybe there's something there. It's worth thinking about and talking about. So finally, number, number six. I promise is the last one. Let your speech about one another be seasoned with salt. Notice that the two occasions
0: in the New Testament where Paul says, hey, let, let your, your speech be seasoned with salt. Let, let your, gra- or your, your speech be gracious. He's talking about <laughs> your conversations with unbelievers. He's essentially assuming that among the church, there's going to be none of that, that ungracious speech, because of our unity we have in Christ. And I want you to pay attention particularly to how you talk about other. If there are struggles with temptation and sin that somebody is, is struggling with, or just something that you find sort of annoying about a, another person, or wh- whatever it is, it shouldn't come out in your conversations with other people. There should be no occasion for gossip or slander,
1: or even even joking, casual comments about it. friends, our unity in Christ is precious. This is something that our neighbors long for. We have it. We have it. Let's ask that the Lord would preserve it until the day we die or the day he comes. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for the unity that you have achieved
0: in your son. Jesus Christ, would you preserve it? Would you preserve it by your grace through our
1: conduct to one another and through our conduct with our neighbors? In our name we pray.